Hey, what's up, 40E Nation? We are about to start part two of the Steve Weatherford interview. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, take a listen. Steve talks about his NFL career and the things he's learned along the way. It's a phenomenal listen. And now in part two, we're going to talk about nutrition, exercise, and his business and how it's flourishing and the things that you guys could learn and benefit from off the field, the things that you would do in the weight room, the things you would do to take care of your body. So take a listen, enjoy, and once again, please share with your friends and family. Thank you. Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champion, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson! Hey Steve, that was awesome to listen to. What an incredible career. Again, like I said, it was fun to watch you play. You did a lot for the sport. You did a lot for punters, giving us a little bit more street cred. But now let's flip gears a little bit more, talk a little bit more about your fitness endeavors. So you retired from football, you got a little bit more heavy into fitness, got a little bit more heavy into social media, and that really grew for you. So let's tell the audience a little bit more about what you do, what you offer, and how they can get involved. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's something that that I've been passionate about since, I mean, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, I remember... I remember picking up my first muscle and fitness magazine at the dentist's office when I was like 13 years old. Um, and I remember stuffing it, stuffing it in my book bag. That's cool. It's always fun to hear how people get involved with their interests. So what makes what you do a little bit different than everybody else? I'm doing it a whole lot differently than anybody else has done it before me. And the reason I think I'm able to do it that way is because... I never started out on this journey to make money. You know, I, I started out on this journey because I, I loved it. And so after my 10th season in the NFL, you know, I every year I'll have goals that I have written down for myself. And some of them are athletic goals. Um, some of them are, you know, family goals. Some of them are personal development goals. Some of them are, you know, mindset mentality goals. And at the end of every season, because typically unless you – you know, go deep into the playoffs or the Super Bowl, your season is going to end sometime around January. So that gives me an opportunity it's 11 to, o'clock. to spend some time in thought because you get a little bit of free time and it gives you an opportunity to, you know, review the previous year and, and identify the the lifestyle habits that you have that, that helped you achieve goals and the lifestyle habits that you had that, that stopped you from achieving goals. And after my 10th season, I wrote down goals and once I got done, I looked down at the sheet and and nothing on that paper had anything to do with football or the NFL. And so it was at that point I was like, man, if if I continue playing, I I don't, I don't feel like my motivation is going to be where it needs to be in order for me to compete at the highest level possible. And, um, and so I, you know, talked to my financial planner, talked to my wife and talked to my son and, um, you know, they said, Hey, you know, listen, if, if you think this is, this is going to fulfill your life and it's going to, you know, when you look back on it, you're going to feel like this was the right decision. I was, I was adamant. I knew I was done. And I knew if I continued to play, I would be playing for one reason. And that was for money. And I think that's just the wrong, 
motivation to play something that requires so much of your life. Right. Hey, Steve, one of the questions we get as as kicking coaches, just going to doing, you know, small camps, big camps, trainings, etc. One of the biggest we get is, is how to generate more leg speed as a kicker or punter. You know, and you've probably been DM'd that by young kickers a bunch. Like, what, what would, how would you answer that question? Um, well, it, it, it's all dependent on, you know, that person. You know, because I've seen people who have performed in the NFL that honestly, you know, guys like Jeff Eagles or Brad Maynard, guys that don't really have a very fast leg, I've seen them perform just sensationally almost to, to where you're like, I feel like they should check that ball because that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but, you know, in generalities, how are you going to improve your, your leg swing? Um, I think it's a combination of um, adding muscular density and then stimulating your central nervous system without neglecting flexibility. So um, all of the compound lifting that um, high school coaches encourage you to do um, I'm a firm believer, especially when somebody's first getting into the weight room, there's really only three or four exercises that they should concern themselves with. And it's not curls, it's not shoulder press, it's not calf raises, it's de- it's deadlift, it's bench, and it's squat. And I think high school kids in general shouldn't really spend a lot of time on accessory lifts because they need to build up the base for which you're going to build your house on, you know? So if you picture building a house, you're not going to um, put the chimney on first. You know, the chimney could kind of be related to curls. You know, you're not going to start doing curls to build the chimney on top of your house before you build the foundation. And so um, working to develop the compound lifts are going to add muscular density. It's, it's going to add power, explosion, and it's also going to fine-tune your central nervous system because you don't have to have muscle in order to generate power. I mean, you need muscle, but I've seen people that have weighed 182 pounds but had insane leg speed and compete against me on a field, and I might be 225 pounds, strong as hell, how are they able to hit the same height or higher punts and further punts than what I'm able to do? How does that make sense? Well, in order in order to com- in order to create compression on the football uh, to get the ball to go higher and farther, it's a combination of power and speed is going to is going to equal velocity. And so it's like I said, it's dependent on which person it is and how they're built, but. The compound lifts are a fantastic place to start. And I also, for myself, even being 35 years old, and I've been in the gym for 21 years heavily, I'll take three months every single year, and I won't I won't do any accessory lifts. I'll take three months, and all I do is bench press, squat, and deadlift because I don't ever want to lose the foundation of what my athleticism and my my power and my explosiveness is built on. And so I make sure that I'm very, very vigilant um, to maintain the foundation that I have. And it's not it's not like once you build it up, you can leave it alone. It still needs maintenance. It's like a it's like a car. Right. And just the feedback you're providing is so valuable. I just really appreciate those answers just to help 
kind of clear things up for the young kickers, even free agents and college guys. One thing we've noticed uh, on your Instagram, and, and we've been seeing it within the kicking community, this small um, niche market is Carney Kicking and, and the awesome athletic facility out there. It's just been really cool to watch. Like, Can you talk about that? Because there's been so many free agent kicker punters and snappers that post really cool stuff in that facility, and we see you working out there a lot. It's really intriguing. Like, Talk about Carney and what, he, and what you guys are doing out there. Well, it's, it's not what I'm doing out there. You know, I go in the gym and I am still, I'm still a consumer. You know, John is a producer. He's a teacher. He's a mentor. Uh, he, he's the finest man that I've ever met in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that so much so that I named my second child, Carney, in his honor. Um, That's awesome. But, you know, just from from the blessings that I've had in my life, you know, I, I stumble into the NFL, just kind of sneak in the back door and with the saints and John's in his 18th season. And here I am some knucklehead from Terre Haute, Indiana. And I come in there with, with a lot of talent, you know, a lot of bravado and a lot of confidence, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was just confident that whatever I needed to do, I'm going to learn how to do it. I'm going to learn how to be the best at it. And mentoring underneath him and not just from a kicking and punting standpoint, but you know, kids kids go from a um, you know eleven or twelve game schedule when they're in college, and then they you know once your senior year is over, then you're preparing yourself for NFL workouts and possibly the NFL Combine. You know, once you finish the Combine, then you might have private workouts, and then from the private workouts, you you go to the draft. If you don't get drafted, you you might have workouts. You might be a free agent. Then you go to OTAs. From OTAs, you go to minicamp. From minicamp, you go to summer workouts. From summer workouts, you go to training camp. From training camp, you go to preseason. From preseason, you go to regular season. Regular season, you go to postseason. And literally, for two years straight, I was kicking footballs. And I cannot tell you how much of a godsend John Carney was for me because I've always hung my hat on being the hardest worker in the room. But from a kicking and punting standpoint, it's it's not always hard work is what's going to make you better. You know, you sometimes when you, when you're going out there and you tell yourself you're going to hit 50 or 60 punts and you know, the last five or six punts that you hit aren't what you want. Sometimes it's not going to make you better. or It's not going to fix the problem. If you keep punting and punting and kicking and kicking. And um, so there's to be able to have somebody that's mature and somebody who's gone through that process really kind of, help me manage myself and and teach me how to manage an insanely long NFL season because we played my rookie year. I had five preseason games. I had 16 regular season games, and then I played an additional three um, postseason playoff games. I mean, you add that up, man. I'm, I'm looking at 24 games, which is two college seasons back-to-back. And in addition to coming off of, you know, OTAs, minicamps, summer, and, and all the other stuff leading up to it, my leg was hanging on by a thread. But if I didn't have John Kearney, I'd have lost my leg somewhere mid-season. Um, and so not only did he teach me how to manage my leg, um, you know, nutritionally he was, you know, invaluable. Um, from a rest and recovery standpoint, he was invaluable. From a mentality standpoint, he's the best in the world. And um, in addition to all those things, you know, I, I had a wife and my wife was pregnant. He... He mentored me on how how to pursue becoming the best in the world at what your job is, but also not losing sight of what's truly important and, and, and your family. And so for that, um, I could not ever 
ever ask for a better teacher or a mentor to become the best version of myself while also trying to become the best punter in the world. Yeah, that's a that's an incredible statement, you know, and and as we've done these interviews, you start hearing those common themes of somebody had a great mentor that helped them keep a longer career, you know, and just just get that longevity of body maintenance. Um, I mean, that's honestly, that's what I'm trying to do for people in fitness, because I understand kicking and punting is such a niche market. And so I want to make sure that my time, my energy, my finances, my talents are impacting more than just kickers and punters. But guess what? Kickers and punters can also benefit from from what I, you know, the content that I create, the, the programming um, that I provide to people, the nutritional protocols, the, the, the supplemental um, recommendations that I have for people, the flexibility routines that I create for people. And so I love what John's doing. I just want to be able to impact more people um, with a little bit more relatable content. But I mean, I've, I've, I've met and spoken with the, the Mike Husteds and the Jamie Coles and, you know, the, all the other sailors and, and all those people. And that's not a knock on them. Um, that for me to say that it's not even comparable, the guidance and the value that you're going to get from somebody like John Carney, because John, John Carney kicked the football and was paid to do it for 23 years. You guys are sitting here on a podcast interviewing me like, like I'm a big deal. John Carney more than doubled my career. He went to the Pro Bowl in like 1992, and then just for just for shits and giggles, uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go again. 16 years later, in 2008, I mean, it's it's absurd. His his longevity, um, his his resilience, and nobody, and I mean nobody, trained um, and prepared mentally and physically with more ferocity than John Carney did. And that's how I learned how to be a pro. Yeah. And Steve, the, the facility looks sweet. Like, you know, I, you know, I see all the free agent punters like Sam Aaron Hill, who he just signed with the Redskins. And he was training with Carney and he, he mentioned that he got to, to meet you and talk to you. Like, you know, I see all the quotes on the walls and, and all the pictures. Like, can you like, is there any way you can describe the facility? Like, is it like a little fraternity for specialists or? You know, you know what it is, man. I mean, even more than being a fraternity for specialists, I think it's it's an inspiration to people. Regardless if you've ever touched the football before, and you, you're you're a 19 year old girl that's coming in there to work with a personal trainer because you want to get a bigger butt. When you look up on the wall and you see 36 different pictures of people competing in the NFL, and you know that every single one of those people that's on that wall have touched the same weights that you're picking up to get a bigger butt. It's inspiring. And then you look at the wall behind you and it's a black wall and not anybody can grab a piece of chalk and write a quote on there. You know, it it has to be earned. Um, But, but every achiever that's been through that gym gets to write a quote on the wall. And, you know, not only are you inspired by the, the sports figures that are on the wall and then you turn around and you see the different quotes that mean a lot to the people that are on in those pictures are also on that wall. It's just a very, um, it's a positive, the energy inside of that gym is, is infectious because people aren't, people don't that walk through those doors aren't walking through the doors the same way they do at 24 hour fitness. 
people when people walk through the doors of 24 hour fitness they're doing it because they need to and they know it's the right thing but they don't necessarily a lot of times want to be there um but anytime anybody walks into Kearney training facility with an attitude like that they're either not going to last long or they're going to be asked to leave because that that facility that 2500 square foot unit that John Kearney manages it's it's a special place, you know, and it's a special place for the energy that's inside of it, the inspiration that comes from it, the people that train there. But, you know, you're referring to, to Sam and Sam coming over from Australia and then coming to, to John Carney's gym. And, you know, I was very, very honored that John called me. He says, hey, I've got this guy, Sam. He's an Australian punter. You know, he's been training with me for a couple of days, man. He said, you know, he he idolizes you and he watches tons of your film and, and, you know, he follows you on social media, man. He'd love to meet you. You know, so it's, it's special to me for other people, the younger generation to kind of look up to me the same way that I looked up to John Carney. And so I, I feel as if there is a, almost a, a mandatory obligation for me to do for those kids, what John Carney did for me. And, and that's what John builds there, you know, because the, because of the way that John invested his time, energy, passion, and experiences into me and allowed me um, the opportunity to play in the NFL for 10 years by utilizing all of the, the aids, whether that's mental, physical, or, you know, recovery, any of those things, without them, I would not have been the punter that I was and I wouldn't be the man and the father that I am. And so I... I don't do as well as what John did, but I do my best uh, to get up there and, and talk to the kids. And whether that's, you know, teaching them how to, to drop the ball when they've got a 30 mile an hour headwind or that's teaching them field goal holding techniques and in inclement weather. You know what? Any value that I can provide for those kids, I'll never ask a dollar. Um, and I hope John Carney makes tens of millions of dollars with what he's doing right there, because, you know, if it wasn't for John Carney. I wouldn't have made tens of millions of dollars punting a football, and so I owe him a lot. Yeah, that's incredible. I you, that was a great testament to to him as a person and, and a mentor. And you know, I think that's also some of the reasons, similar philosophies, why why we got into coaching. Now, granted, I never got on an NFL team. I tried, but you know, I started the kicking academy, and I, Brian did too, to to give back and teach people how to get to that get get that progression in their goal quicker than we did, and. Uh, I think it's awesome just to hear that. Um, one one question I have for you is, you know, you know, since we're the same age, I, you know, I'm relating it to what I went through when there were barely any kicking coaches back in the day, and now there's one in every state. Um, is is we often talk about rep count? You know, when did you start realizing rep count was important? Because when I was started punting, I felt like I had a rubber leg, and and actually every year in college, I hurt my hip flexor because I just over punted, I didn't maintain. And it wasn't until my, my fifth year of college football that I started ice bathing and doing all that stuff. So I kind of want to tie in the question of rep count with you as one kid, uh, Zane Davis, submitted a question. He asked, what are the best exercises for hip flexors? So kind of a two-ended question right here, and I just want to get your take on it. I mean, the, the first thing is discipline. And, and when I'm re referring to discipline, that is not the discipline of making sure you get in the cold tub every day. That's the discipline of the definition of being a man is doing what you say you're going to do. Um, and so if you walk out onto the field and you say, I'm hitting 45 punts today because it's Friday and I've got a game on Sunday, 
and you go out there and you hit 45 punts and you feel dissatisfied and you go out there and you hit another 30 punts and you show up to the game on Sunday and you don't have any thump left. That's your fault. You know, it doesn't, you can get in the cold tub. You know, I went so far as, as buying a hyperbaric chamber um, to aid myself in recovery because I knew there were people out there that, you know, like Pat McAfee, it just had more talent than I did. And, and I was okay with that, but I knew that I could, I could cut down on the kind of the displacement of talent by comparison by doing things I knew that other guys weren't doing. And so whether that's, you know, going to Pilates class or making yoga part of my normal routine or, you know, the cold tub, you know, cold contrast tub when I first get to work and then you have practice and then the cold tub after. Nobody was more detailed um, and disciplined with the way that they built and helped recover and fuel their body. And that was the only reason that I was able to achieve um, what I achieved and, and really compete at the, the highest level for as long as I did is because I I knew that I wasn't the most talented and I was okay with that, but I knew that there were other ways that I could kind of counterbalance that. And, um, and I was able to do that. And a big part of the way I was able to do that was learning from people uh, like you and like John Carney who had been there and who had done that and truly got fulfillment from helping someone else not make the same mistakes that they made. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, in relation to just hip flexors, what, how would you? What's the? What do you think is a good way to just maintain hip flexor so that, like, as I a totally punter, doesn't circ- lose I that? I totally circumvented that <laughs> question, didn't I? <laughs> well, um, cold tub is, is a great place to start, but honestly, the first place to start is is being disciplined to what your kick count is. And I think in order for these young kids to be able to realize what their kick count should be, is they need to talk to people like you guys. You know. If, if you tell them their punt count needs to be 50 on a Thursday, they need to stick to that. But you also have to take into account, well, your punt count should be 50, but are you kicking and also kicking off for the team? Because if you are, you have to take that into account. So why don't we make your punt count 35? Why don't we make your full your full kickoffs? Why don't we just hit five of those? And then for field goals, why don't we hit 25 of those? That's still a huge workload. But I think in order for these young guys to realize how important it is, they need mentors. Um, so for hip flexors, you know, it's a combination of a dynamic flexibility routine before you're punting. Um, then once you get done punting, the first thing that I would do is spend about 10 minutes um, stretching myself. And previous to even stretching myself down in kind of a cool down fashion is if I had 50 punts, I would make sure that I, because I'm right leg. So if I kick with my right leg and I had 50 punts, I would I would make sure that I got at least half that number in kicks with my left leg, if that makes sense. Um, nice. Because there's, nice. there's so many structural differences that happen in your body that your body will acclimate to the repetitive motions that you're taking it through. So if you're punting the ball 50 times every single day, your hip alignment can get off. Um, yeah. You're the... the the symmetry between your hamstring flexibility can differentiate. And if that differentiates, then you're going to have hip and low back issues, hip and low back issues. Um, at the end of the day, you can't make the club in the tub. If you got a sore back and you're unable to perform your skill the way that you need to perform your skill to make the team, then you're going to let low back issues stop you from fulfilling your dream. So um, for hip flexors, cold tub, dynamic flexibility, static flexibility, 
trigger point ball and a foam roller. And Steve, like that just like hit home for me. Cause I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, even just now being uh, almost 33, like even when I go do out some trick shots and I'll try to make a shot for like 45 minutes and it's the hardest one ever, you know, two days later, my lower right back, I had <laughs> like a motherfucker. So it's like, man, I didn't even think about that. And it's almost, I just learned something from you. Um, and that's, I need to have my kickers and punters because these guys are going through growth spurts that are 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And they all have lower back pain. And that's really interesting to make sure to, to have them swing the left leg a good bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, you just go through the same motion. It's going to feel goofy because you're not left footed, um, but you're not doing it to improve a skill. You're, you're doing it to, to maintain and be vigilant with your symmetry. You know? So when you go to the weight room, if you want to get bigger arms, you don't just do curls with your right arm. You know, you're not you're not swinging your left leg to make your left leg stronger or faster. It's from a structural standpoint. So you need to take both sides of your body through that motion. You know, I wouldn't ask people to do the same amount of repetitions because if you're right legged, your left leg will never perform like your right leg will. We don't need it to perform like your right leg. We just need your body to be symmetrical because if it's symmetrical then it's going to stay healthy if it stays healthy you're going to be able to perform if you can perform you're going to be able to achieve yeah these are great quotes uh steve i have a fun question for you um this is uh you, you can name however many you want um i'm just gonna throw a number talk about three to five really fun stadiums that you got to play in in your career as well as maybe two to three of the most challenging stadiums to punt in like weather-wise etc if we gave the city of Philadelphia to Canada, I would be totally on board with that. <laughs> the entire, not just the, not just the stadium, the entire city and everybody in it. <laughs> so let's so let's just start there. Um, the hardest stadiums to play in, uh, Chicago by far and away. I think the the punter that plays in Chicago should get a a, a two time escalator so if you're making a million bucks and you play in chicago you should make two million bucks because it freaking sucks um and the years that i was in the nfl the worst part about playing in chicago is not only was it the worst field turf of all time because later on in the season they would just pour sand on the field to keep it to keep the grass from ripping up which didn't work at all but just imagine trying to kick and punt the ball in sand mm -hmm. so that's the first drawback then the second drawback is it's it's like punting in a wind tunnel. It freaking sucks. And then to put a cherry on top, you're punting the you're punting the football to the greatest punt returner that has ever walked planet Earth. So it just sucked in general. Right. Um, so that's the worst stadium to play in. Uh, Candlestick Park, um, rest in peace, was a really uh, was another really tough one. <laughs> Um, I would say my favorite, let's exclude domes because everybody loves the planet dome. Let's be real. Um, I would say the best outdoor stadium to play in, uh, Oakland sucked also because I don't, I don't think they do it anymore, but Oakland was pretty much a baseball field. That really sucked. Um, outdoor stadiums. My favorite, honestly, was probably the new Meadowlands. Um, just because it was, I'm, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag right now. And so for anybody else that is listening to this, that might go to the NFL or is in the NFL right now, the wind in that stadium is the greatest wind for a punter that you could ever imagine. Because from the back of the end zone 
all the way up through the 40-yard line, on both ends, the wind feels like it's at your back. Wow. But from from a kicker standpoint, from the back of the end zone to the 40-yard line, it always feels like it's in your face because you're kicking the ball the opposite way. Right. Um, so between the 40s, the wind is really, really pretty tricky um, with your drop and whatnot. But as far as being able to put up some, some bigger numbers, that stadium, oddly enough, is a great stadium if you know if you know those kind of little tidbits of information. So putting the, putting the ball inside the 20-yard line uh, could be really difficult for somebody who doesn't realize that let's say you're punting the ball from midfield and once the ball gets past the plus 40 the wind is actually going to be pushing against the ball so if you think oh i'll just you know i'll just hit a nice 40 yard punt um down to the 10 yard line so you go out there you take your nine iron you hit a 40 yarder to the 10 yard line but then the wall the ball beats it up and it ends up at the 17 yard line you come back you come back to the sideline your coach is just like hey Hey, thanks so much for that 33-yard punt to the 17. That was great. Thanks so much for the field position. Um, But if you go out there knowing those things, you can swing like you're trying to hit a 50-yarder, and then it's going to end up on the 7-yard line, and then you you run past Tom Top, and he gives you a little pat on the ass. You feel good about yourself. So it's all about learning. Um, But Philadelphia can go to Canada. Um, Oakland needs to get real grass, and Chicago should get a dump. (laughs) <laughs> that's great so you uh you mentioned Devin Hester and he's obviously fun to watch from a, a fan perspective uh tying that into a punter's perspective has anybody ever scored on you and have you also made tackles or how many tackles have you made in a game you know, I took great pride in this man I think I made it through eight NFL or no I made it through seven NFL seasons with zero touchdowns I think I at one point I had the the longest um, for active punters. I had the longest or the most punt consecutive punts without a touchdown. And then, awesome. um, and then my eighth season started and uh, one of them was certainly my fault, but we had it was two or three. And I was, I was knocking the leather off of that ball that season. And I think I had three returns for a touchdown in one season. One of them was my fault, but, um, at the end of the day, I mean, you can't you can't knock the leather off the ball every single time. I I sent Ted Ginn a freaking donut right down the middle. It was like a like a four one thirty nine yarder. I was supposed to go right. He caught it in the middle, and um, yeah, I, I had no shot at that. But yeah, I've made a I've tackled Hester. I've tackled Pac Man Jones like three times. I've got Jacoby Jones. I've actually caught I caught uh, I caught Pac Man from behind not once but twice. Um, so yeah, I, I never, I never really loved making tackles cause that means either my punt sucked or my coverage sucked but regardless. It was never a good thing. Um, but I think during, during my 10 year career, I think I might've had a dozen, maybe 14 tackles. Um, and really probably only two of them were, were worth me ever putting on social media cause the rest of them were like patty caking people out of bounds. I only had two good hits, but, uh, yeah. Two out of 14 ain't too shabby. Yeah, I mean, tackles are always nice, especially in our position. Um, but you being a big guy, it's just it's nice seeing those those type of tackles from the specialist position. This is a fun question for you, Steve. I think we have, like, I have one more after this one, and I think Chris has two, and then we'll be done here. But um, I see you all, uh, you rocked the Copa Mendias when you played. 
uh, any specific reason. I mean, I, I love those growing up, you know, playing soccer and all. Um, yeah, I think that that shoe has the 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 lever the leather with the most elasticity out of all of them. And my process for breaking those through breaking those in was pretty extensive. I wear normally I wear like an eleven or eleven and a half um, tennis shoes just walking around. Um, my plant foot, I would wear a 10 and a half. So one size down. And then my kicking shoe, I would wear an eight and a half or a nine, which is obviously drastically smaller. Um, and a lot of times my, my feet would hurt during the games and I would take them off two to three times during the game, uh, just to let my, my, my foot not fall asleep. But the, the reason I would do that, and I would go through, it would take me about 10 days to break a shoe in. And so in the off season, I would break in about six pairs of shoes and then just, you know, put them in a plastic bag and stuff them in my locker. And after four or five games, um, I would swap that shoe out and I would usually get one shoe, um, broken in really, really well. And that would be my game shoe for at least a half of a season. I would only wear it on Fridays and on game day. Um, but I wanted to, to get kind of re-comfortable with it on Friday and make sure that the punts that I'm hitting are the same punts I'm going to be hitting on Sunday. Um, but it would be a, a combination of um, going in the hot tub with my sock on, with the shoe on, and then putting it in the dryer, and then doing the same process again, and then putting it in the oven. And then at that point, I would walk around with a wet shoe for about an hour, and then I would let it air dry, and that shoe was... Um, officially seasoned and ready for competition. But um, I was really, really picky about my shoes, and I really didn't become that way until I played with John Carney. And the reason I chose Copas, uh, aside from um, the favorable elasticity, is I, I grew up playing soccer, and that was the coolest shoe ever. Um, right. Aside, aside from the Predator, you guys remember the Predators? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I tried to punt a football wearing the Predators, and uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't work so well. It didn't go well. Yeah. Um, here's my last question before Chris finishes up with this, too. This is kind of a, a different question, but I remember when I had my cup of coffee with the Bears in 07, um, the, the whole K-ball deal, and, and everyone kind of warned uh, the people that we knew was like, hey, these things are brand new. They come out of the box. And, then, you know, these days, it's like they're dark brown, like they've been used for five years. Like, what's the whole process with the K-ball before the game? And has it changed from, like, 15 years ago to, to now? Like, talk about the K-ball. Uh, in 2003, um, they were, like, balloons. And that was when people were – that's one of the reasons that the NFL changed the um, – that's one of the influencers of the reason that the – Kickoff was moved up to the 35 because obviously they wanted to cut down on concussions. But you had guys like like Mitch Berger, um, who was a punter kickoff guy, who was getting his hands on the K balls and just beating the crap of the, out of them in the locker room before the game, and then throwing them in the equipment dryers. And then by the time he got into the game, I mean they were they looked like a basketball, and he was hitting them through the uprights. And so <laughs> then they started to regulate the footballs. Uh, my rookie year, which was 2006, and I remember going to the combine. It was the first year they ever did this, and I could not have been more ready for the NFL combine if you gave me 10 more years. So I showed up, and for whatever reason, they decided that, uh, you know what, let's, in front of these seven punters at the combine, let's take this Wilson box of footballs 
and take it out and then literally take the balls out of the plastic and the leather on the edges was so sharp that it almost cut your hands when you caught a snap. Yeah. And when I tell you I had the worst punting performance of my life, I had the worst performance of my life. And I was on suicide watch after that because I was the number one punter coming out of college. I was the number one guy at the combine. And I think out of like 12 punts, I think I averaged like four, three with like a 44 yard average. It was pathetic. And we were warming up with good balls. Mm-hmm. And I would, I bet the, the 10 punts that I hit before we actually started our charted set, uh, I don't think I hit a ball under five, one. And, and then they brought the brand new balls out and everybody's confidence sank to the floor and nobody punted well, but that was the only year that they did that. So, because all the punters just punted uncharacteristically poor and it was really, it was a, it was a poor reflection of their ability because they weren't punting with regular footballs. Um, so the, the process now is much, much more regulated, but they do give the equipment staff about 12 minutes to, and they have 12, they have 12 K balls and they give the equipment staff, um, 12 minutes to break in 12 K balls. And so unless we're playing in really nasty weather, I just tell our equipment guys, I'm like, listen, you take the four footballs and you bust them in as good as you can. And if we get to the point where we're on our fifth or sixth football, we're in trouble anyway. So <laughs> hopefully by that, hopefully by that time I've got a 50 yard average and I can stomach a 42 and a 43 yard punt with the newer balls. Um, but I, every Christmas I would give our equipment staff, I had two guys and I'd give each one of them $2,000 for their work during the season and so our equipment staff knew that they were incentivized uh, extremely well to, to do a good job because I'd give them $100 a game. you got four preseason games. You've got 16 regular season games. I told them, you guys do a good job for me. I'll give you $100 a game and give them, you know, give them a couple grand for Christmas. They do a really, really good job. Maybe I throw them an extra 1000 bucks. But um, you know, that $3,000 and $2,000 or $3,000 investment that you incentivize those people with, if you think about it, you know, if I'm if I'm punting and I'm making, you know, let's make math easy. Let's say I'm making one point six million dollars a year, which is a hundred thousand dollars a game, and I'm paying this dude a hundred bucks to make sure that the balls I'm kicking are the best possible. Even if that hundred dollars only gets me an, an extra one yard per punt, when you're making a hundred grand a game, it's definitely a good return on your investment because if you don't punt well because of the footballs man, you're going to wish that you paid that hundred bucks to that kid to bust those balls in for you. No doubt. Oh, that's great. All right. I got my last two here. Uh, kind of a fun question. It just came to mind as you were talking about the NFL combine and I'm always like a kind of a back in the day guy. Do you remember the guys you competed against at the NFL combine? And then of those guys who had a legit career after that? Cause that's like now 15 years ago or 12 years ago. at least. Yeah. Dude. The only guy in the in my class uh, that had an NFL career really worth mentioning at all is Sam Cook, and Sam wasn't even invited to the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the year I went to the combine was probably the most punters that they've ever invited. I think we had it was either nine or eleven, but we had a lot of punters. Um, it was Ryan Plackemeyer, John Torp, um, and. I think Ryan Plackemeyer got drafted in the seventh round, 
and maybe played two seasons and then his career was over. Um, I didn't get drafted. I was undrafted free agent. Sam Cook um, wasn't drafted to the combine, but he must have had some sensational workouts because he got drafted in the sixth round. Um, and he has he's had a fantastic career. He's still rolling hard. And I think he's probably coming up on his 13th or 14th season. And uh, he's an awesome guy. So, yeah, I mean, really, uh, the other guys that were at the Combine, there was really only one other guy that played multiple years in the NFL, um, aside from myself. So, yeah, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, man. It wasn't a great memory going to the Combine. Yeah. Steve, so you mentioned um, some of these these workouts that Sam had, and we're seeing a lot of the, now that we have so many social media platforms, we're seeing some of the um, draft-eligible guys that are posting some Insta stories and some Snapchats here and there that are that are getting workouts. So, so do these guys that are draft eligible do they get uh, invited and they get to do like a little mini workout before the draft happens? Right. So, um, if you get if you get invited to the combine or you don't get invited to the combine, um, you're still going to have private workouts. So, I went to the combine. I performed poorly, and I was super thankful that I had. I think I had five or six uh, private workouts. One of them was with Chicago. I had another one with uh, the Redskins, Arizona. Um, I actually never had a private workout with New Orleans, oddly enough. Um, performed really well at all of those because I wasn't kicking bricks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's dude, it's an exciting time. I mean, think about it. I mean, a lot of these kids, are they start kicking footballs. You know, nowadays people are starting to become specialized in kicking footballs at, like, age 13. So you go from age 13 to age 23, 24, and you're getting all of these pro workouts. And it's, it's really kind of like the start of the, the possibility of the dream becoming a reality. And it's, it's a super exciting time because you, you can go from being, you know, just a, one of, you know, 250 college punters to one of 32 in the world. Um, and so to, to be able to say, even just for one day, I was one of the top 32 punters in the world is, that's an extraordinary statement to be able to make confidently. Um, and I, I just feel insanely blessed that I've been able to make that statement for 10 years in a row. No doubt. Well deserved. I mean, I, and Steve, I don't know if you know this, but I was raised in Alabama, but my only scholarship offer coming out was Ball State. So I was in Indiana for four years. No, man, I'm from Indiana, man. I know Muncie really well. So you you must have followed up Reggie Hodges. And Reggie held, held for me for two years. Yeah, man, I know Reggie really well, man. He's a, He is literally one of the finest humans uh, that I ever played against, man. What a great guy. Yes, uh, so his only holding experience was with me uh, before he went to the league and, and bounced around for, for six years. Um, he was awesome. Uh, but, but Ball State was fun, um, and, and, you know, uh, that's where Brad Maynard played at, uh, probably our most popular NFL player in Ball State's history, other than some other guys. But, um, you know, when we had our, our pro day, all that showed up was the Lions and the Bears. We had like 22 seniors. Um, so it was kind of embarrassing. But uh, we couldn't do anything outside because it was snowing. And, and uh, the, the guy that, that came was a shorter guy. I think it, it's Jeff Shiver maybe. It was a guy that's, I think, with the Saints now. Does that name ring a bell, Jeff Shiver? No. Maybe not. Um, but he was just like, "Hey, look, you're you're probably not going to be drafted. Uh, just looking at all the rankings and everything. But um, you know, I'm going to talk to to Coach Tube, who was a special teams coordinator there at the time. And he was just like, you know, I think you're going to get a mini camp workout. So it's kind of like, like it was like I got an invite, and there was still a month or so left before the draft. And then he had called 
uh, like four days before the draft and was like, hey, you know, I want to be the first to offer you a, a rookie camp invite. Um, you know, you're probably not going to get drafted. So it's kind of interesting because it's like, you know, you're getting told you're not getting drafted even though you kind of know it. Um, but that, that was exciting. And when I went to go kick there at the practice facilities or in rook camp, like, did fairly well, but the winds were just like ridiculous. <laughs> 40 miles away. You're never going to have a good workout when you go up there, man. Never. There was like Robbie would kick the ball like 20 yards to the left of the upright and would nail it down the middle like every practice. And like uh, that, I don't know how that guy. Like you don't even need to. You don't even need to be that good of a kicker. You need to be like like really good at geometry. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? You're like, okay, listen, okay. So if I kick this ball at the left pylon, it's going to end up right in the middle of the uprights. Oh, thanks, Robbie. I appreciate that pregame advice. Oh, that's awesome. You know, because if, if, if you really wanted to, Robbie Gould could have ruined careers, but he was actually pretty helpful in giving advice to the kickers and the punters that we had because yeah. that that place is that place is awful. I mean, it's a cool stadium, and I love Chicago, but actually trying to perform the skill that you spend thousands of hours trying to perfect, and then you go there, it is the most humbling experience that you could ever have in that industry. Yeah, he's doing good. 49ers, you know, he's still kicking really well. Yeah, he's a stud, man. He had a couple of years. I would say he probably had like five or six years consecutively in Chicago where I thought he was the best kicker in the NFL. And not just because he was playing in Chicago, but he just, he hit such a pure ball. His rotation was slow. His ball striking skills, his leg speed. He was just really, really well-rounded. But if you ever saw that, but if you ever saw him take his helmet off and you get a chance to talk to him pregame, which obviously I did, he looked like he was uh, like a towel boy, and that's not a shot at him. You know, he just <laughs> he did he just didn't look like much. You know, he was like 175 pounds, and you know it looked like the wind could blow him over. But man, he he was really really effectively efficient in the nastiest stadium of all time. Let's see if you can remember this, because um, uh, this 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 college this university is only an hour up the road for me. Here in South Alabama, uh, do you remember where Lawrence Tynes played at college? Troy, man, you kidding me? <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, great, great pride in Troy, and actually, uh, OCU Manura went to school with him there too. So there was a lot of Trojan pride in that locker room. Nice, <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, uh, Steve. Sorry, I got one last question, and it's just it's based off of just conversation Brian and I have with kids a lot about uh, just just off season stuff, but. What's your take on pool workouts, on keeping your leg fresh and, and strengthening? And then uh, we appreciate everything that you, you, you've said today here in the interview. So appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no worries, man. So you're, you're referring to like a, a aquatic-type workouts? Yes. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're good. Although, um, you know, as you said, that's something that should definitely be done in the off-season. Um, and I think... Just for, from my background in, in other sports, you know, I played four sports in high school. I played two in college. I was a, I was a decathlete at the same time as playing football. And so my the training modalities that, that I used to get myself ready for NFL seasons was vastly different than probably any other kicker or punter. And that's kind of why I think John Carney initially gravitated towards me because not just because I worked hard, but I worked differently as well. So I trained myself um, like an Olympic high jumper or long jumper or sprinter. So a lot of the, a lot of the lifting that I did, I would compartmentalize from, you know, I do 
a lot of central nervous system training for my legs on a Monday um, because I knew that I needed to give my legs at least six days to be able to recover to be at their peak for Sunday. Um, so I, I would compartmentalize a lot of my training and I did a lot of aquatic training following, um, you know, CNS type training, central nervous system training on Mondays, um, because that would help to kind of recalibrate my system. Because when you train, the anytime you train legs, that's unless you just grab 15 pound dumbbells and do lunges, it's always going to be the, the most taxing on your central nervous system. It's always going to be the most taxing on your body in general, um, but there's so many great benefits that come from back squat, deadlift, bench, you know, and, and back squat in general. I think that a lot of kickers and punters should actually be doing more front squatting than they should be back squatting um, just from a potentiality standpoint that you're going to use a whole lot more um, quad explosion than you are glute explosion. And so, you know, back squatting focuses a whole lot more on the, um, the glute and the hamstring development than it does anything else. And then when you're, you're front squatting, you're getting a lot more hip flexor, you know, vastus medialis and a lot of, uh, a lot of quad development as well. So, you know, that's kind of my little tidbit of information of something that I discovered in myself that actually benefited me a whole lot more than, than back squatting was, um, for every, so I would front squat, and then I would front squat the next week, and then I would back squat, and then I would. So I, I front squatted on leg day twice as much as I back squatted, but I always wanted to make sure, we talked about it earlier, and making sure everything is symmetrical. So I didn't want to over-develop um, the front side of my legs and then neglect the back side of my legs because that's when injuries occur. So um, I always wanted to focus more on quad development and um you know, so when you go from central nervous system training to aquatic training, kind of helps reset the system and, and rid your body of a lot of the, you know, the lactic acids and, and things that develop soreness or delayed onset muscle soreness. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the, the stuff about the quad development because uh, especially on the kicking side of things with the foot angle, um, a lot of wedge kickers, you know, injure their groin and hip, uh, in, inner thigh because they're not activating their proper muscles. So we, we have them roll that ankle over to flex the toe and, and activate the four the four main groups there the, of the quad just so that way they're not interfering with their groin. So I think that's really Speak, valuable. Speaking of, I don't know how Matt Bryant has a, a left ankle at all. <laughs> Have you seen his plant? I mean, I'm not gunning him because he's a man, but when I watch his, his field goal kicking on tape, it hurts. Yeah. He's developed so much elasticity in the tendons and ligaments in his ankle, in his left ankle. It's extraordinary. But I mean, what is he? Forty two, forty three years old, and he's still piping it from fifty deep. Yeah, you know, see, that's how I used to kick for like several years until uh, you know learning from from other guys, and and then I started standing more tall to the ball and skipping up and through. But you know, now you know hitting these thirties, like I can start seeing the effects on the ankles and the joints, and that's just from roll. I mean, I rolled my ankle and. It's kind of it's like a it's like a punch kick. It's it's a very yeah. powerful kick, but like you said, he's making it work. But um, what we've been trying to tell these guys is just standing more tall and, and activating the core and not rolling their back as much so they can last longer in the NFL and you know the college NFL ranks. Yeah, I mean the guys that do it really well, that wedge kick really well in the NFL, they're fantastic. You know, I don't I wouldn't teach people to kick that way. But right. you look at like Stephen Gostowski, you look at. Um, 
Matt Prater, you look at Matt Bryant. I mean, those guys, they couldn't be, they couldn't be more of a more clear example of what, what a wedge kicker does. But Stephen Gostowski is sensational. Matt Prater's got a cannon and Matt Bryant's been doing it for going on three decades. You know what I mean? Those guys are, they, they've perfected it, but physically it's, they've got to put a lot of tension and, and a lot of, aggravation on joints that just aren't supposed to move that way mm-hmm. Steve, we really appreciate you taking uh definitely more than 30 minutes of your time to, to meet with us to talk about it's been a great discussion thank you so much for being on yeah you guys got it man i appreciate it man you guys keep kicking out that content on social media man i love it yeah thanks steve so much really appreciate it and uh we'll keep supporting what you do as well so keep doing it for the brand my man all right brother. talk all soon right. guys Be yep. well. we'll see you Man, Brian, another great interview. That yeah, was man. fantastic. Just to talk fitness, just everything. He gave so many insights as to what made him a long-lasting punter or just player in the league. It was awesome. Yeah, fourth down experience, just pushing out uh, content with some of the best out there. And, and Steve Weatherford was just so professional. And, uh, you know, that's, of course, what we expected. But he just provided so much good information about what you're doing with your body and, and, and the workout side, the nutrition side, you know, just even talk him just knowing what wedge kickers are, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about. And, and we really encourage all of you guys in our audience to, to check him out. Steve Weatherford on social media, as well as weatherfordfit.com. He's got a lot of great information can help you out. I agree. He, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that just tries to give back. So yeah, like, like Brian said, hit him up, Weatherford five, Weatherford fit, his website is is weatherford5.com and he has a lot of great content on there about being fit, being a part of the Armageddon uh, club. So so we'd encourage you guys to just check it out and join what he's doing because hopefully you saw or heard in this interview that that guy knows what he's talking about and he's been around the block and he's had great guys along the way that have gotten him to be where he's at. So uh, thank you guys for listening again this week. Please do us a favor. If you like the content, you like the interviews, uh, do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can, five star ideally. But but whatever you think, and uh, and when we pu- when we push it on social media, give it a retweet, give it a like, share this content with the special teams community, and uh, and everybody benefits. So thank you guys again for listening to us this week. Peace. Later. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast today. And just a reminder, if you need gear for kicking, punting, or long snapping, Wizard Sports Equipment has you covered. They offer quality products, quality service, and affordable prices. So if you want 5% off your next order, go to www.wizardsports.com. That's wizardsports.com and get 5% off your next order. And remember, enter discount code 4thdown, that's the number 4, T-H-D-O-W-N, to get your 5% off your next order. Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.